Brewery fans, and welcome to another episode of the Uncharted Media Podcast. I am your host, Nate, with my co-host, Josh. Josh, how are you doing tonight? I'm chilling, man. It's been a it's been a pretty good day so far. So I've been waiting all day. To talk about tonight, so I'm like ready to rock and roll, man. Yeah, let's get right into this. I'm really excited. I've been excited to talk all day because we've got so much news to cover in addition to our discussion. So let's just jump right into this. Um, kicking us off, last week we said that there was a Dark Phoenix trailer that was coming out for the new X-Men Dark Phoenix film. Um, but that came out after we recorded by a couple hours. It dropped around like midnight, I think, my time. So the Dark Phoenix trailer has come out. Not only that, but the film has also been delayed. So the film, the trailer for the movie said it was coming out February 14th. Now it's coming out in June. Um, Josh, are you worried? Uh, not really. I mean, I don't know. Really? I, see, I don't know. Did they, did they state the reasoning why they're delaying it? Because I, I knew they were delaying it, but I didn't catch a reason. Um, I don't think there's any, like, official reason. I think it's more reshoots, which raises some red flags for me. Eh, I mean, it depends, because maybe they're, they, maybe they're doing stuff Venom didn't, and going like, hey, this doesn't really work on paper. Let's, let's do something different. So, I don't know. I mean, it could be good, could be bad, regardless. I mean, I, I, I like the trailer nothing necessarily really happened but the vibe and the visuals that i got i was pretty down with yeah um the trailer didn't really do anything for me personally um i don't i'm indifferent to the x-men movies they're about 50 50 um for me um i thought this trailer was fine it was okay nothing really stuck with me though except for one line that magneto gives to professor x of just like there's always a speech. You always give a speech, um, and no one cares. And I'm just like, yeah, it's so true. It fits the franchise so well. There always are these things that happen in every single X-Men movie, no matter what you do. And I thought it was cool, a little dialogue. I like the cast. I'm really, I'm willing to bet the house that Jennifer Lawrence's mystique dies in this. I don't think I'll care, because she hasn't cared this whole run of hers as mystique. But, yeah, I don't know how I feel about Dark Phoenix. I'm more just kind of waiting to get past this so we can start getting into Disney's version of the X-Men and such. Fair. The one thing I did take away from this is that Magneto has set up a colony, basically. He's got got an island, and he has, like, a small colony of mutants. And, uh, hmm, I, I wonder what other X-Men storyline that is absolutely fantastic that he does that in yeah and the last stand so, i mean part of me thinks that that yes okay what but i'm not no, I'm not acknowledging that i'm thinking house of m which would be super cool but whatever we'll see there's, which, a, there's a lot that could happen let it be known that this is like the second week in a row that you referenced house of m but i just want like good stories to watch but that's all i ask <laughs> fair enough Speaking of good stories, our next story probably isn't it, but I will probably end up watching this anyway. So the first trailer for Holmes and Watson starring Will Ferrell and John C. Riley dropped. I'm I'm going to give my hot take. I didn't mind this trailer at all, actually. Okay. And here's um, here's my weird rationale for that. I am okay. a diehard 
Sherlock Holmes fan. I love almost all incarnations of the character, minus um, the CBS elementary show. I think that's a steaming pile. Okay. But that's a rant for another day. I absolutely love Sherlock Holmes. I think the character is like Batman or um, any other great literary character. Of They're up for different interpretations, and this one clearly has more of a comedic spin to it. I'm up for it so long as they get one important aspect correct, and that is a good mystery. If you you can wrap this up in as much stupid shenanigans and modern pop culture for me personally, as long as you still make it a Sherlock Holmes story at its core. Like, as long as there's a good mystery, the Robert Downey Jr. stories was a lot different than the Basil Rathbone from back in the day. But those are both still Sherlock Holmes. If you make a good yeah. mystery and a good story with these admittedly pretty stupid jokes, I'll still be on board for it because it would be a different take to a beloved character. Well, I'm going to flip that because I hate it. I mean, I popped a little when I saw Braun Strowman. I had to do a double take to make sure it was Braun Strowman. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But at the same time, this just feels like stepbrothers in in a different genre is all it feels like to me right now. And if I'm quite honest, I didn't like stepbrothers. And I'm probably going to catch a lot of heat for that, but that's okay. Because at the end of the day, there's really only one or two Will Ferrell movies that I enjoy. All the rest of them, to me, are trash. Because I, I don't think he, he's a hit-and-miss guy more than Adam Sandler is. Really? That's saying wow. That is definitely a hot take. Um, in, in my opinion. I think yes, the biggest I, thing... I don't care for it. The biggest thing this movie has going against it is its release date. That dis- dreaded December 21st date that has so many other movies that Alita Battle Angel was smart enough recently to actually move out of that slot date but there's a ton of movies coming out in that time frame and it's going to hurt all of their box office collectively and I can see a lot of people passing on this. I'm still willing to reserve judgment just because I'm interested enough and invested enough in the character of Sherlock Holmes and Watson that I'll give it a fair shake to see what this new interpretation is. That being said, I completely understand your um, reservations and a lot of other people's reservations. I completely understand that I'm in the minority. I didn't love the trailer. Like, it's not the best trailer I've ever seen. I think I may have chuckled once or twice. The humor really didn't work for me, but I'm willing to give it enough of a fair shake because it's something so different for Holmes that it just might work. Fair. Okay. I'll, I'll take it. However... There is a project that was announced earlier today. We record our episodes on Wednesdays. Um, earlier Wednesday, that got both of us very excited that jumped pretty high to our priority list of we need to talk about this. So, for a while there, the Chronicles of Narnia franchises have been somewhat in limbo. There was a Silver Share movie announced a while back, but no progress was made on that. Well, now, Netflix has apparently picked up the rights and has planned to make various um, TV shows and films in the Chronicles of Narnia universe, whether that's direct adaptations of the books or just in that world of Narnia. Well, either way, we're getting more Narnia stories. What do you make of that, Josh? So, real quick, take on the the original series of of movies. Uh, Disney, they didn't do a terrible job. They they changed a few things, like in Prince Caspian, (laughs) when Susan and Caspian fall in love. No, get out of here. Go away. Or shoehorning the White Witch in there. But, however, 
yeah, like get out of here. But I'm still like they were still good. They're still good films. They were enjoyable. They weren't trash. And the, but and they had to stop. I don't know if you know this, but I, the reason that it's been so long is because of the way that the um, the C.S. Lewis copyrights work. They could only have it for a certain amount of time, and then then it would like go into limbo for a bit, and then they could have have access to the copyright again. So it's it's been a while because apparently like, the copyright they couldn't get a hold of it or something like that, but in my opinion, it would have worked perfectly because, I mean, because of the, how much time has passed. And so by the time we get to the final book and where all of the original kids come back and they're all grown up, it'd be like the perfect timing and whatnot. But anyway, uh, to no avail. But to to be fair, I'm excited about Netflix getting them because Netflix could definitely do some stuff with it. Uh, in my opinion, I think you do nothing but a book ad- adaptation. Um, uh, doing stories from within the world of Narnia that are not the books makes me a little nervous just because it'd be very easy to take that source material and just do whatever you want with it. When, in fact, like the books are written a certain way for a purpose. Things are done a certain way for a reason. You know what I mean? Kind of like, kind of go, like how it's hard. It would be hard to, to change anything in Lord of the Rings. Well, to be fair, Lord of the Rings has expanded canon, like um, the appendices or any yeah. of these other um, consequential, like sub stories that you don't need to know but are still in the greater scheme. I would actually be curious to know more yeah. about the realm of Narnia. Besides just the Pevensey kids stories, I, th- I it would be interesting because there hasn't been other materials in Narnia, but it's a world with a lot of possibilities. So I can see why Netflix scooped it up. I think the interesting thing that I'd be yeah. curious to see with Netflix is it it is no secret that Narnia as a whole is a very religious book series. I'd be curious as to how prominent those features stay in the Netflix adaptation or whether they make it more Lord of the Rings e and make it more subtle in its um, religious themes throughout. That's fair. Uh, real quick side note. Um, the middle three books are not about the Pevensey kids. Pevensey kids. There's still a link to them though. There uh, is the family. Chair, I mean, yes, but yeah, I, I agree, but like technically, horse and, horse and his boy is not about that at all. And uh, uh, it uh, it takes place during the reign of the Pevensey kids, though. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll, you're fine. Whatever. I just I'm a nerd. About Why do I even stuff. remember the horse and his anyway, boy? I hated um, that book as a kid. I love. Okay, so the uh, quick side story because we totally have time for that today. Um, I I listened to a horse and his boy on tape like on the way driving to like Canada one, one summer with my family. And that's, I fell in love with that book that way because the, just the way that it was presented was really awesome. But anyway, regardless, um, I'm still apprehensive. You're right in that it's, there's a lot more that could happen in that, in that world. And it's going to be very hard to dabble in that world without the religious you know, tones. However, mm-hmm. you could make the argument that the only reason those religious tones is because of the story of the Pevensies and Aslan. 
and that that story is the only has religious tones because that's what that story is. So you could, because technically, then you can tell, because you can tell a story in like a Lord of the Rings world that doesn't have the religious overtones as or undertones as there. overtly. At you know least. what I mean? So yeah, exactly. So you can do that. I can see where where you could do that. Yeah, with with no religious undertones, but or at least overtly. But at the same time, like, I don't know if I want that. You know what I mean? It's like, it's it's almost like if they made a Redwall series and made it so the animals didn't didn't physically talk. Hmm. Like, yeah. It's, it's still Redwall, but it's not Redwall. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I don't know. It's I'll reserve my judgment until they kind of make any more announcements. But to me, like that, there's definitely some good things that could come from that. Um, I'm actually going to put it down on record now. This is my bold prediction about Narnia. I say they will bring Liam Neeson back to voice Aslan. That's my bold prediction. I mean, why wouldn't you? Why oh. wouldn't you? He is the voice of Aslan now. It's like it's like if you make an animated Hellboy, you have to have Ron Perlman. Well, we'll get to Hellboy in just a At little bit because that's a discussion that I'm very excited <laughs> to have. Yes. Oh, man. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So it seems like we're curious, hesitant, but optimistic about Narnia joining Netflix. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Awesome. So that leads us into another thing that really sparked my interest. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this one, Josh. The new Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse trailer. I was already on board for this movie. This trailer makes me even more on board, and I didn't know that was possible. We have John Mulaney as Spider-Ham and Nicolas Cage as Spider-Man Noir, and I love it. The animation style, the group dynamic that seems to be present in this movie, I'm so excited for Into the Spider-Verse. I, okay, so unlike you, I have been writing this film off. I didn't care for it when I first saw the trailer. I was like, okay, cool. I mean, the animation's a little weird, but I'm, I can get by that. Like, uh, I, But at the same time, it was not necessarily... The characters didn't give me enough charisma to be like, yeah, like, I'm down. But the second trailer, first of all, I'm pretty sure the guy that plays Nick Miller is the voice of Peter Parker. I'd have to, like, double-check that, but what? I'm almost certain it's him. Um, who's, who's doing the voice of Peter Parker? Yeah, it's the guy from Jurassic World. The okay, guy from I'll New Girl. Check for myself. Yeah, okay, it is the guy from New Girl. Okay, cool. Okay, no, yeah, yeah, just the way you because, phrased it made it seem like he was playing, um, like Peter Parker was playing Nick Miller. I mean, that would be hilarious, but anyway. But yes, no, he is yeah, the main yeah, yeah. older uh, First of Peter all, Parker. I'm super on board with that. Yeah. But I mean, because if you're going to do an older Parker, like, that's that's like... That's the voice. Just like this grumpy guy who's been fighting crime for so long and like still has a good sense of humor about him, but he's just tired. <laughs> That's perfect. But I, I agree. Like this this trailer really like I'm down. I am so down. With the way like the, that line that Spider Ham gives, he's like, Wait, do animals talk in this dimension? I don't want to freak him out. And he like dot he, like freaks out right there. I laughed ah, pretty hard at that. That was pretty good. Yeah. I was I was like okay yeah I just and Miles Morales the way that he's he's presented in the trailer like he's he's I'm on board I am wholly on board right now 
Um, yeah. Because yeah, it's it seems like a lot of fun, and I don't know, man. I go. I've never been the biggest <laughs> Miles Morales fan until um, the Spider-Man game. Actually, I started to get a little bit on board with him. I liked what I saw in that. It was a pretty good character. And then the more I see this trailer, I'm just like, yeah, I'm really getting behind you. And then jumping back to Spider-Ham, John Mulaney seems to be spot on in his voice performance of Spider-Ham slash Peter Porker. Um, it's just yes. goofy and funny. It's exactly what a spider ham probably should sound like. Just a little bit quirky and different because it's literally just if Spider-Man was a pig. We didn't get a ton of Nicolas Cage's voice as Spider-Man Noir. That being said, I can guarantee you he's going to bring his A-game for this just because it's a comic book franchise and it's something he's passionate about. He knows comics. He just loves being in comic book movies. I'm pretty sure that's why he took the role as Big Daddy and Kick-Ass. But, um, yeah, I'm just really excited for this movie. There's so many different avenues that I'm excited for. We got Kingpin as the bad guy, as we see in the trailer. It just seems like a lot of fun and just something different in this. What at times feels like a barrage of very similar superhero films. This one seems unique, which is something great, and I always want more unique superhero films. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Uh, it's it's unique enough, and it takes the the positives of of that world. And who was it? I I forget what I was watching. That oh, it was like this random like series of videos talking about the Spider Man films. Like the goat went through the 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 original trilogy and then all the way up to Homecoming, um, and just kind of talked about how how bad they are and and whatever. But who do I need to slap? Um, he was no. I mean, honestly, like some of the points he was making were were pretty spot on. I, hmm. I just that's a discussion for you and me to have off off mic. But yeah, so his one of his points were like it shouldn't be that hard really to make a spider-man movie. this you know it's very it's fairly simple really if you think about it on paper like, the character peter parker is very well yeah it will even on paper is very well defined like this is who he is he starts as this he gets his powers and he's still that person but he changes so like example one of his big problems with the original series and i agree with him on this is that yes peter parker is an awkward dork before he gets his powers but then he finds confidence in them and he's not as awkward and he's not as dorky after that part that part so like example that i would think of would be if we, you could have the toby toby mcguire peter parker before he gets his powers and transition into uh, Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man. If that that would be ideal in my mind. But anyway, side point. It it should it shouldn't be hard to make a Spider-Man movie. And I think from everything we've seen from this trailer, it's doing it's hitting all the right notes. It's hitting the notes that the TV show with uh, Drake um, hit when it was dabbling in the in the Spider Spider-Verse. I still say that for the game they need to to do a multiplayer version with the with, uh, like tapping into the spider-verse you need to go on multiplayer missions and you know have like four or five people all different spider-man 
from different universes. I don't know. It'd be cool. But yeah. Um. So uh, when you said it felt like one of the episodes from the Drake Bell show, that actually is a perfect analogy that I hadn't even thought of. Of this, all the trailers that I've seen for this yeah. movie feels just like an animated Spider-Man TV episode as just a full-length thing. Like Teen Titans Go to the Movies is just a more or less a feature-length episode of Teen Titans Go. This feels like a feature-length episode of a Miles Morales TV show that could be on the horizon just with a bigger budget. And that's not a bad thing. Animated Spider-Man TV shows are some of the best representations that we've gotten of Spider-Man so far. And they're a lot of fun and brisk and yeah. light and just enjoyable. But I think this movie is actually hiding. Not they're not showing in the trailers because these don't. This point isn't as marketable as action and cool visual style. I think there's going to be a lot of emotion in this movie. Like there's, I'm going to go that out on a limb and say there's going to be some really hard scenes to watch and really genuine emotion in this. Not like Toy Story three sad, but. I think yeah. this movie's hiding yeah. some serious no, no, feels no. in it. I think it is going to be that sad. I think it is going to be that sad. Just the way that they're playing the I love you, Dad kind of angle with Miles. And then just there's a line in the trailer when everything starts kind of getting kind of intense that Miles says where he's just like, literally, if I don't, if I don't stop this machine, like, uh, you know, none of us are going to have a home to go home to. So... To me, if you have a team of characters, that it's he would say, if we don't stop this, but it's got for some reason it's got to be him, and that to me, tandem with the the relationship that they're making very obvious with his dad, I think, dude, I think some hard stuff is about to come at us. I I don't know if I'm ready for it at all. Yeah. Um, there's some stuff that happens in the Spider-Man game. I won't spoil it for you, but yeah, if they follow any of the stuff that happens in the game or just in Miles' backstory, we could be in a rough for rough ride. Along with Peter Parker, there's some shots, um, just go back and watch. There's some shots, even from Peter's standpoint, that could be really emotional for him that kind of breeze by really quick in the trailer, but could be very much an emotional roller coaster. Yes. Um, speaking of emotional roller coasters. Like, just the fact that Spider-Gwen is a thing. Hmm? Say again? Like just the fact that Spider Gwen is the thing. Yes, that could be really interesting to see. If that that much is going to be rough. I'm going to snap my neck on that one. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> yeah, we. It's going to be an emotional roller coaster. Speaking of emotional roller coasters, we have Star Wars news, and that's always an emotional roller coaster. No. So I'm sure. I'm sure this news has to anger some people. To me, it's not a bad thing at all, and it was pretty obvious. But um, Kathleen Kennedy, the person in charge of Lucasfilm, has had her contract renewed at Lucasfilm, and she's going to be in charge for another three years. This, to me, is a non-story, but I figured it was worth reporting on anyway. People are just like, oh, this is the end of the world. Other people are just like, oh, hail the Kennedy. Um, I'm somewhere in the middle. I think... She's not the right person for the job, but from a business perspective, I can absolutely see why they kept her because minus Solo, Mm -hmm. all the Star Wars films have been financially a huge success. We're in a new Star Wars renaissance minus Solo. Um, And so she's at the helm of that and it makes sense financially. I think there are far more qualified people that 
listen to fan feedback better. Um, Kevin Feige, but Dave Filoni especially. Dave Filoni, the guy that was in charge of Clone Wars and Rebels and a whole bunch of Star Wars canon stuff. I think he would have been the perfect choice. Um, I don't think she's the best choice, but she's a good producer to producer. She's a good shepherd of the flock, so to speak. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm indifferent to the news, but I figured it was big enough that we should discuss it for at least a little bit. Yeah. I'm with you. I, so I was in doing research for on the topic just to kind of make sure I knew what we were about to talk about. You know what I mean? Um, I came across Campio's podcast and he made a quick note about this. Um, regardless of how us fans feel and we all, I, it, I don't think we'd have to argue very hard to say that Star Wars fans are some of the worst fans ever. Um, Bob Iger, the guy who is basically the king of Disney, yeah, loves Kathy for another Jane. couple of years. Yeah, so of course, yeah, of course, she, she's going to get some more years to get to get another you know chance to do this. So I mean, I I, I agree. I think it's a non-story because I haven't. Got around to it um honestly from everything i heard solo was fine it wasn't good but it wasn't bad i and really all the star wars movies we've had up to this point in my opinion have been good if anything a lot of fun but you know star wars fans are going to be awful no matter what at this point so yeah well what's the antidote for some awful fans how about a host that just makes everything better. That's right, we have Mr. Rogers. So, this past week, we had not one, but two first looks at some biopics, kind of biopics, one of them being Mr. Rogers, played by Tom Hanks, and the other being Elton John, played by Tarrant Edgerton, your dude from Kingsman. Um, I think both of these, yeah. um, one of them, looks spot on. And I think that's Taron um, Edgerton, Edgerton, what I can never pronounce his name. I think he looks spot on as Elton John. Like it scares me a little bit. Yeah. I was telling somebody on the way, on the way home from work today that it actually, there's sometimes it actually made me a little uncomfortable how much he looks like Elton John. And even his voice is pretty good too. I wouldn't say it's Elton John's voice, but it's good voice to have there. Yeah. To um to Taryn's credit, anybody that isn't Elton John is gonna be noticeable singing Elton John songs. Obviously, now what interests me about this movie is they've gone on record saying multiple times that it's not a biopic. It's not a biopic. It's not a biopic. It's more like across the universe than a straightforward biopic, which really fascinates me. The visual style that they're gonna go with and just make it more of a musical, which could be really interesting. And it really, like, you kind of already get that vibe from the trailer or that teaser or whatever it is. Oh, yeah. It's super trippy. Yes. Which I'm okay with. I I, I've, I haven't really actually seen Across the Universe. I think the story here is that Josh actually hasn't seen a lot of movies. <laughs> but that is, that is okay. Um, One of us has seen Rodden, too many. Um, yes. Yes. Oh, I agree. Too many movies can ruin you. Um but, but Tom Hanks as Mr. Rogers. Yes, that I, is a great segue. Um, I'm not sold I, on it. I just, I, it looks like Tom Hanks. 
It's, that's it's my thought Tom exactly. Actually, it's Tom Hanks as Mister Rogers. It's a great cosplay. Yeah, it's, I mean, I love Tom Hanks. Yeah, like that's great. Like, good for you, man. Like, we'll have to see. I would rather see the mannerisms and how he gets that down because right now it's just Tom Hanks, like just chilling. Yeah, I completely agree, hundred percent. I love Tom Hanks. He's a fantastic actor. But when I saw the picture, I was like, it's Tom Hanks dressed as Mr. Rogers. Um, it was the same issue I had with Tom Hanks as Walt Disney in Saving Mr. Banks. Of It was just Tom Hanks dressed yeah. as Walt Disney. You were right about the mannerisms. I'm very curious how Tom Hanks handles Mr. Rogers. Um, Mr. Rogers always had like these, not delicate, but very delicate gentle motions like he talked gently but he also moved gently it's it's weird to describe to people that didn't grow up with mr rogers but like yeah he never did anything abruptly or with i don't know with any brute force it was all delicate and easy going and I'm, yeah. i'd be really curious to see how an actor like hanks portrays that yeah and it's going to be tricky too because a lot of it's also going to be the voice, because mm-hmm. which the way I don't that think he got was very no. I don't I, think he got that at gonna all. Be very in saving Mr. Banks. Oh no, I I think yeah, and Rogers is going to be harder to do because it's very calm, it's very kind, and you feel comfort in it. You're never like, well, this guy's luring me in to uh, just, you know, stab me while the camera is turned. You know what I mean? It's just, there's, Mr. Rogers is very special and not that, like, I I can do anything, but Hank's better be respectful and treat this right because this isn't just, this isn't Walt Disney. (laughs) This is Mr. Rogers, man. Like, have some respect kind of thing. I get it. Yeah. So going from the complete end of the Mr. Rogers spectrum, Rambo 5, also known as that <laughs> random gardener on my front lawn. Wow, this picture does nothing for me. I, I read some of the backstory, and it makes sense. But at the same time, okay, I grew up with a movie called Man from Snowy River. Have you ever heard of it? Yes. Okay, that's what I thought of when I saw him. I was like, oh, okay, so we're going to go to Australia and he's going to herd some horses. Because it, does, it doesn't look like Rambo at all. And I understand, you know, if he's, he's you know, dealing with PTSD and he's work going and doing manual labor jobs where you can find them, that's fine, whatever. It just doesn't look like Rambo. Then, again, maybe that's the point. Yeah, to be fair, um, yeah, that could be the point of that picture was to be like, Rambo has moved on. One of my big issues with this movie being made is not the fact that Sylvester Stallone is old. I That doesn't bother me in the slightest, actually. He still looks like he could um, play the part and kick my butt. Um, it's that Rambo, the fourth one, ended so perfectly for the character of John Rambo of finally returning home to his family ranch after Nam and just kind of accepting that I have to get back into a normal life. And just to see that kind of undone is going to be an uphill battle for me to get back into the Rambo franchise. And this picture just kind of, it doesn't do anything for me. That being said, it's just a, hey, we've started filming. It's, it's started. It's, it's not a picture that's meant to get us super hyped up. Unlike 
some other photo yeah. that came out this week. Josh, I know you've been <laughs> wanting to talk about this one. What photo is this that we're referring Bro, to? It is my wall. It is my wallpaper right now. I am so hyped for Hellboy. You have no idea. Oh my goodness! I'm just. I've been geeking out all, all week, man. Like I keep looking at the, the the poster for Hell, the new Hellboy movie, which I'm not sure if it's like Hell, like Legendary AF Hellboy or if it's just Hellboy and that's just the tagline. Or I. Regardless, I think it's, it's just Hellboy, it's and that's the tagline. The logo for Hellboy is, I, I think so too. But regardless, that's perfect because I mean they're not doing this Hellboy. That's like, man, I'm still trying to find my way in the world. I'm really lost, you know. Like like Ron Perlman's, which I had no problem with Ron Perlman's you know, interpretation. It was cool, and I enjoyed it. I love those two movies. I grew up with them. It's fine, but just the fact that in this a photo he has his full-length horns and the fire crown and the sword man we are in i don't know what story they're telling but i'm down i don't know he just looks so good and the fact that they use the original like comic book logo hellboy for for the poster is just tells me that they they've done their research yeah, I'm, I'm I'm down. I mean, I'm gonna geek out about this for the next week until so. You, your turn. <laughs> I'm I'm not the biggest like Hellboy fan. I'm not super familiar with the source material, but even I, when I saw the picture, was like, "Holy crap! That is so awesome! I need to see this movie right now." Hopper's gonna kick some serious butt, people. This is Hopper yeah. from Stranger Things on steroids, mixed with a demon baby. And it's wonderfully amazing, and I cannot wait to yeah. see this movie. I was hesitant so, for a while because the original Hellboys, they're underrated masterpieces in terms of the superhero genre. I think they came out at the wrong time. If they came out nowadays, they, yes, they'd be a bigger deal than they were back then. They came out in a time that superhero movies weren't as big as they are now. I think if you release Hellboy now, like the Ron Perlman ones, they would have done a ton better than they did. That being said, I'm really excited for this new yeah, incarnation to see what they bring to the table. Yes. So, just like obviously, I'm pretty hyped for this movie. So I've done a little like research and stuff into Hopper's approach and what all he's doing and what the company is wanting him to do. When Hopper's gone and lost, like I know that's not his actual name, but I don't remember his actual name off the top of my head. David so Arbor. Hopper. Um. He's lost a ton of weight. He has lost so much weight. Mm-hmm. But that's not his body. They're, they're, and that's fine. He's like, I've lost a lot of weight. I'm you know, pretty dedicated to this, this role. But I wanted it to be my body. But they want to still wanted to do a, uh, like a bodysuit. And you know what? I'm, I'm okay with that. Like, for some reason, like, I get it. Like you want, in a lot of ways, you want the Hellboy body to look a very specific way, and mm-hmm. instead of just painting copper red, which does feel very cheap and very nineties, just do the bodysuit. And I mean, regardless, his acting is going to shine through. So whatever. Yes, he's been a very underappreciated actor. 
before Stranger Things, and I'm sure he's going to knock it out of the park as Hellboy, and I'm really excited. They moved it to April, which kind of gives me more faith in the movie than it coming out in January. Yeah. We should hopefully get a trailer sometime yeah. in November-ish. That's m- kind of my estimate of when we'll see a trailer for it. Um, yeah, I'm getting really excited for this movie. Yeah. I don't know what's going to be on the docket for it, but Market is one that I'm very much curious for. Um, now, this next and our final movie news topic for this week is one that I'm not seeing covered in a lot of places, and to be fair, it's more or less somewhat of a dead franchise right now, but the behind the scenes is fascinating to me, and it also transitioned us perfectly to our main discussion later after that, is over the past year or so, the Friday the 13th franchise, the Jason Voorhees Camp Crystal Lake slasher franchise, has been in this ongoing legal battle that the likes of which I've never seen before in a movie franchise. So what's going on is the scriptwriter for the original Friday the 13th movie, Victor Miller, has sued the original director, Sean S. Cunningham, more or less saying, I never got my royalties for um, Friday the 13th. It's made all these millions and millions of dollars off merchandise, movies, DVDs, etc. I've never seen any of that money. I wrote Friday the 13th, so it's mine, 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 mine. They've been in this whole year-long legal battle, and now it's been decided Victor Miller won the case. He owns Friday the 13th. However, it gets very, very confusing, and there is still a chance for Friday the 13th movies to happen in a sense. So I'm going to break it down for you listeners at home and for you, Josh. I have it yeah, up here I on my tablet. So it, <laughs> we, Friday the 13th is dead, but Jason Voorhees is not. And let me explain why. So in this contract, or this dispute that got settled in court, um, the script writer has it where he more or less has the rights and ownership to the name Friday the 13th and anything that belongs to the first film. So it now appear, I'm reading off of consequenceofsound.net. Uh, it now appears any Friday the 13th movie made in the U.S. that does not have Miller at the helm won't be called Friday the 13th. It can, however, still feature Jason Voorhees since, as any fan of the franchise knows, Jason is a little ghost boy in the water in that movie and not the hockey mask killer he eventually becomes. So, in response to this, the people over on the Friday the 13th camp have um, said... Following the guidelines set down by the court's ruling, we intend to aggressively explore many opportunities for new projects featuring settings and characters, including the hockey mask-wearing killer, not included in Mr. Miller's screenplay, and in fact are currently in development on new projects that are consistent with the ruling which will be announced soon. So, what that means is they can keep, they can make more movies starring Jason Voorhees as a killer in the woods. But you can't call it Friday the 13th. You can't use Camp Crystal Lake. You can't use almost anything from the original. But thankfully, Friday the 13th's most iconic elements came in the sequels. With Jason Voorhees being the killer, being revealed in the second one. His hockey mask coming in the third one. 
So this franchise is not dead. It's just in trickier territory than Spider-Man or the X-Men circa three to four years ago. Well, and I remember the one thing that was we were more concerned about. I mean, I don't care about getting more movies, but the Friday the 13th game had been like all kinds of stuff had been halted on that because of the, the lawsuit. So I think the game is dead. Really? I Because too much of the game revolves around that first movie. Fair enough. Like, they still keep making patches to fix some bugs and stuff and everything else. Um, which, shameless plug, if you play um, Friday the 13th on the PS4, it's free for PlayStation Plus users this month for October. Um, yeah, so if you don't have it, pick it up. It's a fun game. Got a lot of glitches, but it's still a lot of fun. Um, I think this breathes new hope for a film franchise. Ever since I got into Friday the 13th, and ever since a certain production company has teased interest in Friday the 13th, I've wanted them to pair so badly. I want a Friday the 13th reboot done by Blumhouse. That'd be awesome, dude. Seriously. It just, yeah, let's go. I'm that, that has something written all over it that I'm, I'm super down for. And especially is, with how Halloween is happening right now like that. Yeah. Like let's go. Exactly. And the thing is, if it's a different company and you have these limitations, you can more or less remold the Friday the 13th franchise and mold it into the image that you want of okay you don't have to title it Friday the 13th you can title it something else of I don't know murder camp or something like that that is easy enough but it's can be easily linked to something that people may know and you still have your most valuable asset to the franchise which is Jason Voorhees you still have that thankfully that wasn't in the first one. So there's still a lot of stuff that you can do. This franchise, like the killer himself, it's not dead yet and may never fully die, which is probably for the best. And I'll explain why when we discuss uh, History of Slashers for our main topic today. Um, but yeah, this... I mean, I've never seen really anything so complicated. Point, I oh, I bet. I, and that's why I probably, like, I've kind of left it to you to follow everything. <laughs> I really at this point I just want a remake of Jason X. It's my favorite one. <laughs> I it will never happen. I can feel you shaking your head. It's a it's a fun dumb movie. I enjoy it too, but it's a fun dumb movie. Honestly, the crossover I want. We got Freddy versus Jason. Now how about Freddy versus Michael? Yeah, that and to me that's always made more sense. Yeah, like one will kill you in the shadows, and the other one is a brute force killing machine. Yeah, OG killer and that cheesy knockoff. Put them head to head. Okay. Well, before we transition into our main topic, this podcast episode sponsored by... I don't know, but... I got it. I got it. I got it. I got it. This this week's podcast is re- is sponsored by Mattress One because life it doesn't give you enough support. Our mattresses do. Ooh, sweet. Also, I don't know if this little count is a sponsored by, but we have a big channel update. Assuming, depending on how you're listening to this, yeah. we're now available on other mediums. You're probably listening to those mediums by now, but um, we are now available on Google Play Music. 
and iTunes. Um, iTunes, I'm still checking on stuff, but I believe by the time this comes out, that will be on both YouTube, Google Play, and iTunes. So yeah, if you want to check us out there too, feel free to subscribe to us there. We'd much appreciate it. I think that'd be awesome. I'm really happy to be on those platforms. So yeah, I think that's awesome. And with that, we will segue into our main discussion today. Josh, let us break down in honor of Halloween. We're going to break down the history of the slasher movie subgenre. And I say subgenre because they kind of all fit in horror genres. Um, I love slasher films, but I'll admit they're probably the hardest to get right in horror because it's so easy to do them poorly. Case in point, Jason X. Yeah. Okay, I mean, yes, Jason X is terrible, but it's a lot of fun. Um, but no, I agree. Slashers, unlike some of the other ones, you, you, you don't have the opportunity to lean really heavy on religious stuff or science or what have you. It's, it's, the, it's so simple. The plot should be so simple, but it, it's, that's what makes it so hard. Is It's just a killer. And he's going to kill people. That's it. That's all that you need to make a slasher. But how that goes down is a whole nother picture. So it's, yeah, I would agree and say that it's a little harder. It's harder of the, of the horror subgenres to make. All right. Well, um, let's kind of go through a more or less a horror slasher timeline and just kind of hit the major ones starting in 1960 with Psycho. To me, this sets um, slashers on... It starts us off in the sub-genre on the right foot. Psycho is the one that inspired everything else. There's more or less John Carpenter who made Halloween, which we'll get to in a little bit. John Carpenter has said many times that there's horror movies before Psycho, and then there's horror movies after Psycho. Psycho changed everything forever, especially in the slasher genre, and it it still holds up pretty well almost 50 to 60 years later. It really does. I watched it a couple months ago randomly, and it's it really holds up. It's kind of weird. I think it's, um, it's just a different style of filmmaking than what was going on at the time. The choice to do it in black and white was an economic one at the time because it was cheaper to shoot in black and white. But I think that kind of helps the film a little bit more. Um... The shower scene, while it may seem commonplace to us now, was absolutely groundbreaking when that came out of the use of violence and quote-unquote sex. Like, that, it it's a woman in a shower. We don't see anything, but just the implied sexual nature of it was a big deal for 1960. Now we don't really even bat an eye at it, but back then... The combination of that level of violence and that level of sexuality was never seen before. Now it's commonplace for slashers. Yes. And which would lead us right into John Carpenter's Halloween. Well, let's not get ahead of ourselves. We still got a couple more, I think, in between. Case in point. Okay, okay. Sorry, I just wanted to go to the the best one. (laughs) <laughs> oh, I completely agree, and I love talking Halloween, which we'll probably end up having just a Halloween episode sometime this month. Um, but yeah, we still have a couple slashers yes. in between those time periods. Per- 
most notably, Josh, one in your state right now, a little Texas Chainsaw oh. Massacre. The original is is probably the best, I think. Well, no duh. Aren't they always? I mean, not always, really. I mean, that, oh, I cannot depend on your opinion, but whatever. No, and it's it's really funny, too, because I remember it coming when it, it, when it came out, um, or when I was a teenager, rather, sorry, and because I grew up in a very Christian home, and they were very much against <laughs> against horror movies and so they we were told stories about like a, some teenagers that were a fornicating and got kidnapped and hacked in the house and whatever and it was really funny because most uh, now later in life because i go back and i think about those stories and they're literally just telling they were telling us scenes from texas chainsaw massacre as like like warnings to not do things, which should tell you something about horror movies. Yeah, so I kind of grew up with the same stories of like Texas Chainsaw Massacre is one of the most brutal and intense and terrifying movies you will ever see. And I see it and it's not that scary. It is very unsettling in the final scene where they're all like gathered no. on the kitchen table and she's being chased by Leatherface. Yeah. But for the movie called Texas Chainsaw Massacre, there is surprisingly little blood in the original film. It's all implied stuff, which to me, I actually prefer implied over actual blood and gore because what the mind can conjure up will always, always be more terrifying than what man can actually create on screen. And Texas Chainsaw Massacre... I agree. It was game-changing in how brutal it was without actually having to show anything. I remember watching Texas Chainsaw Massacre in college, and they're walking through the woods, and they're pushing the wheelchair-bound character. And I was like, okay, he's safe. Uh, he's in a wheelchair. They wouldn't kill off the wheelchair kid. Oh, no. They just brutally murdered the wheelchair guy. And then they do the same thing in um, one of the Friday the 13th sequels. I think the second or the third one. And that was shocking to me that they would do that to a handicapped person. And they hold nothing back in, Friday, in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. But again, they don't really get into the bloodiness. There's characters on hooks. Yeah. Not a lot of blood there. It's all uneasiness and just disturbingness without having to show yeah. you all that much. Yeah. Are we allowed to talk about remakes or sequels or anything like that? I mean, we can because movies? you and I have a history with that. Uh, we did a Five Good Things on uh, whatever Texas Chainsaw yeah. movie starred Alexander Daddario. We did a Five Good yeah. Things on that. Yeah, that wasn't that's not part of it. That wasn't that bad. We've seen worse. Because, but there was, or maybe it was with my ex. I don't know. That's weird. But there's a movie called Leatherface, just straight Leatherface. That's very good. It takes a different approach to the uh, to, to the whole Texas Chainsaw stuff. Oh, if you, if you, that's a fantastic movie. But yeah, I don't want to sit because there's a lot that happens and I don't want to ruin anything. Yeah. Fair <laughs> enough. 
fair enough. So Texas Chainsaw, if I remember correctly, that was 1975. Fast forward to 1978, and then you have John Carpenter's Halloween, which I can't believe that turns 40 this year. Holy crap. Which, hands down, Halloween is my favorite slasher film, favorite horror film, one of the most influential movies in my life. I absolutely adore John Carpenter's Halloween. It is a horror masterpiece. It is a cinematic masterpiece, I think. I, I would agree. I won't say it's my favorite slasher because I have another one that was shown to me, but it's definitely, to me, the most quintessential example of how to do a slasher, how to build in, in your kills, how to it's just everything in that movie you watch. It's that's that's what a slasher needs to be. You know what I mean? I don't know. But like Texas Chainsaw, there's all this blood that your brain thinks you see that you really, really don't. I can think of um, the only actual blood that I can think of is very briefly when. Um, Michael Myers is in the back seat and he pops up and he slits that lady's throat. Other than that, it's not actually a whole lot of blood, blood. There's some, but for a serial killer that kills four people, well, the trailer for the new Halloween is making you think four. It was a lot more than that, I'm sure. Um, But for how many people he killed, there's not a lot of blood in it. And it was a lot of restraint, but... It's fantastic camera work, like some of the best camera work you'll ever see in a horror film. The music is just iconic, and I hate the fact that John Carpenter more or less came up with it just in an afternoon going, hey, this sounds good, I'll use this. I hate people that talented. That's just not even fair, man. That music is so good, but not even just the main Halloween theme. You've got Lori's theme, the haunted house, the shaped stalks, all of it is just fantastic music. And sure, the sequels are really hit or miss, but go back to that first one, and that is what you need, and that is the benchmark for a great slasher film. I think, too, it took the creativity kill to another level, too. Like when the, I think what's the first kill is when he, he pins the guy up, up on the wall, I think. Uh, that's not the first one, but yeah, I know which one you're talking about. Uh, when he you know hits I mean? Bob, but, but still, like the, at that time, like, who would have thought that kind of that kind of stuff? Like he's gonna pick him up and put him against the wall tonight. Like that's so cool. That it's it's the kills that he does. More times or not, for me, maybe this says something about how my brain is wired. But to me, it's like oh. Oh, that's really cool. Like, I really like how you how you did that. Because yeah, it's a kill and like yeah, I'm upset because he just killed a character, but at the same time, it's a really smart way of going about that. It's really brutal and stuff. You know what I mean? What I always liked um with Halloween was more so even than the kills, was how Michael reacted after. Like case in point, you talked about when Bob gets pinned to the closet door. What makes that scene go yes. from good to best scene in the movie, one of the best scenes in the movie to me, is 
after he pins Bob to the wall, he just stands there like a dog admiring. And he just turns his head to the side and tilts it to the other side, just looking in fascination, not saying a word, just doing the fantastic Michael Myers breathing that I pray comes back for the new Halloween movie. I love the breathing, and I wish they used it for more of the movies. Um, But just the morbid curiosity of Michael and just the almost, well, not almost, the insanity the pure, purely and simply evil, as Loomis puts yes. it, is just the little mannerisms that Michael sprinkles in the original film is, I think, something that really was missing from its knockoff, which is Friday the 13th, which uh, came out a year or two after. I can't remember which. The people that made Friday the 13th make no qualms yeah. about the fact that they more or less ripped off Halloween. They're almost proud of it, actually. But I'll say that Jason established his own identity and wasn't just a Michael Myers clone after a while. And I think it's weird to say, but I will go out on a limb and say that Friday the 13th had more of an impact in the horror genre than Halloween, but not for the better. Fair. So what okay. I mean by that... And I can kind of see that, because really the sexual themes in, in Friday the 13th are a little stronger. Actually, I wasn't even going to go off that. Um, what I more am thinking in that regard <laughs> of Friday the 13th versus Halloween is what is more known? Friday the 13th, the original film, or the slew of B-level sequels that Friday the 13th produced almost annually? You're mo- you more know the yeah. hockey mask slasher Jason Voorhees. That came in part three in all subsequent films, which is more or less just the 80s slasher personified is actually probably more Jason Voorhees than Michael Myers. Friday the 13th popularized and commercialized these sequels and more or less made any horror franchise going forward sequel material. You had to have sequels. And yes, Halloween came first and had sequels, but they didn't do them as proficiently as Friday the 13th did. They literally had them almost every year. So they were made just for money. And that was essentially a trend that continues to this day of you got to bang those horror sequels out real quick and real cheap. And Friday the 13th, I think in that regard, has more of an influence than Halloween. Halloween had more of an influence in the style and the quality in horror films going forward. But from a commercial yeah. aspect, I think Friday the 13th has a far larger impact than Halloween. I agree. And I, I would say that I would agree in that it's it's to the detriment. Because, I mean, say what you want about the Halloween sequels, all of them are fairly solid in one way or another. I'll uh, take almost all of the Halloween of sequels the over almost any of the Friday the 13th sequels. And I'm sure that's going to get some people mad, but... I own every single Halloween movie and every single Friday the 13th movie. I could sit through a Halloween marathon a whole heck of a lot easier than I can a Friday the 13th one. Friday the 13th, this is just me personally, it took them four movies to get a good one. Yes. uh, Friday the 13th 4 was the first good one. The first really good one and great Halloween uh, Friday the 13th film was part six, Jason Lives. That's my favorite of the 
um, Friday the 13th films when it's just adult, fully realized, super powered up Tommy Jarvis versus Jason Voorhees. It took them six movies yeah. to get to that point. They never cared about quality. It was, let's crank these suckers out as, poss- as fast as possible. And somehow along the way, they got a fan base. I do have respect and I have fun with Friday the 13th. But they were clearly never made to be the best films out there. And in that regard, they were more commercial avenues. And that's totally fine. If that's what they wanted to do, that's totally cool. Yeah, and I, I agree. Uh, what, what we got next coming up after, um, after Friday the 13th, though? Well, we talked a little bit with the commercial success of Friday the 13th. But also, Friday the 13th was also more or less responsible for the downfall of slasher films because of how many Friday the 13th movies came out. People got really tired of them and just stopped going to see slasher films. That is, until a horror icon that was already responsible for A Nightmare on Elm Street came back with his own version for a modern audience, well, modern at the time, slasher with the Scream films. That, more or less, Scream revitalized slashers. It saved horror for a while there. Yeah, I agree. And, I mean, I personally am not a big fan of the the Scream movies. I think it's, it's really easy to make a cliche movie. You know what I mean? It's, it's like how a Guardians of the Galaxy kind of, of like takes a lot of cliches and goes, ah, isn't this funny? Scream does that. And in some ways I don't enjoy it. But I agree though. Like it in a lot of ways, that's what the industry needed at that at, at that moment. It, it needed a fresh face. It needed a fresh take on horror films. And I mean, you talk to any horror fan, yeah, we know. We we know the tropes. We understand. Like we we we'll sit there and we'll go yeah okay so she's creeping around a, a, a house she shouldn't be in but we know bad things are gonna happen but then a good horror movie will take that and flip it on its head and and at the time when it came out Scream did exactly that like Psycho and like Halloween I think you can look at horror movies before Scream and after Scream before Scream you had just your slashes and afterwards. You have all these audience members watching your films going, well, why is she doing this? Why isn't she doing that? Like, they're watching it through the lens of someone that has seen Scream and is able to point out these faults. I think the audience before Scream knew these faults, but wasn't nitpicking them as much. 90s uh, had the rise of the internet, more of a teen culture than anything else, and just kind of made people more self-aware to these tropes and cliches that you brought up. And Scream kind of incorporated that into the story. And going forward, people kind of more or less expected the Scream style of storytelling of, we've seen this all before. Why isn't she doing this? Why isn't she doing that? And they apply that same logic to horror movies going forward. That's kind of why um, some films just didn't do as well or don't hold up as well because I think we looked at them through that lens. Like the I Know What You Did Last Summer films, I don't think hold up. Because we have that scream lens of, well, why didn't she do this? Why didn't she do that? Which, um, side note, Jason Blum, who runs Blumhouse, wants to remake both Scream and I Know What You Did Last Summer films. And I'd be down for it because both those 
series in the slasher genre are a lot of fun, but I think they could be remade on the sole basis that they're so, so 90s it hurts, especially Scream. But yeah. to be fair, I know what you did last summer last was well, oh, pretty yeah. bad too with Freddie Prince Jr. and Sarah Michelle Gellar. Yeah. It's, but at the same time, I always thought that what I know what you did last summer has potential. It really does. It, and you can tell that, you can see it when you watch them. So, I mean, yeah, I'm down for those to be remade. But I agree. Like, Scream started this lens, this idea, and almost a challenge to writers and directors. Like, our audiences aren't stupid anymore. Like, we're not going to go see a movie if we know if you have made us feel like we know what's going to happen. Give us some intrigue us. Show us that you're not just going to give us a guy around the corner with a knife. You know what I mean? Like, you you got to intrigue us nowadays. It's it's a challenge to write better movies. And, yeah, even to that, your point there, um, Scream, I feel like, didn't even get to live up to that standard because I love the first two Scream movies, but three and four, while they're still good, couldn't live up to their previous films, I think, because of those rules of audiences expecting big Shyamalan-level-esque twists and expecting different things to happen, and they just couldn't deliver on them. Um, But yeah, as a whole, Scream is the last great, strong era for slasher uh, films, I believe. Then, I think to close it out, uh, upon recent memory, we've kind of entered into this remake slash reboot phase. We've had the big three with Michael Myers, um, Freddy Krueger, and Jason Voorhees all getting their remake slash rebooting, however you want to phrase it, with Rob Zombie doing um, yeah. Halloween 1 and 2. You got the Nightmare on Elm Street remake and then you had the michael bay friday the 13th which believe it or not i i don't hate that one as much as some other people do it's it's fine but um hollywood in general just has been making a lot of remakes and we have a another remake for halloween coming up so yeah is there any slashers that you would like to see remade in this era of remakes um i'm trying to think um because quite honestly, right now I'm I'm okay with with remakes. It's a it's a weird phase to live in because at one time, yeah, I have atta- attachments to these these movies. But at the same time, like you have to acknowledge that they're not completely 100 percent good. So it's okay to remake them and to and understand that they're going to remake these movies in in our eyes, this post-Scream era where it's about smart writing. You can't just pick a guy up and pin him to a wall with a knife anymore. He's got to be able to, you've got to be able to explain, well, uh, he was being kind of stupid. And we, as the audience, acknowledge it. And like, okay, well, character's being dumb. He deserves this. Um, As far as slashers that I would like to see be remade, uh, definitely Scream. There's a TV show that MTV did. It's not necessarily Scream, but it they have Scream as the kind of the title. And it's, it's pretty good. The first two seasons are pretty awesome. But I would like to see a remake of Scream. I'm down with the remake of uh, I Know What You Did Last Summer. Um, 
trying to think because really like that 90s era had a bunch of trash um that you could probably pull from and potentially make pretty good stuff yeah which uh, that's another trend in horror that we didn't even talk about in this um with a lot of slasher (laughs) films it's you have a clever original idea and then you just kind of run it into the ground with sequels, which thus is the nature of a lot of horror movies. But um, you do yeah. that with sequels, but then you also have that with people trying to imitate the success of something that worked. We had a lot of Halloween ripoffs. Um, you had a lot of Scream ripoffs when that came out. Same thing with Star Wars. Of People have tried to rip off Star Wars when that came out. But um, yeah, nowadays it seems like we're moving away from the slasher genre well, if we do have any slashers, it's remakes of previously existing ones. However, on a closing note, I will say that we did get one slasher in recent memory that was completely original. It was a new concept with a new killer, almost anything, everything new, and it still ended up being financially successful somehow. And we're still and we're getting a sequel, thus the pattern continues, and that's Happy Death Day. I consider that a slasher and one of the most original and fun horror movies I've seen in a couple years. Uh, I agree with you on that. I think we talked about uh, this movie, the sequel it's getting a couple weeks ago. No, I don't think it doesn't make sense, but whatever. But I agree. It's a, it's a, it's a modern slasher and a unique one at that. It, it takes that idea of uh, groundhog day and goes, okay, well, Let's look at the the bad stuff on it. And even though the Groundhog Day is another discussion, but excuse me, I yeah, I'm, it's the modern slasher. And I think if I would like to think, <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll emphasize that I would like to think that that starts a new era of slashers for us. Um, I I think the slash is one of the best parts of of horror movies it's easy to do a supernatural movie it's easy to do a religious you know uh there's a crazy nun who's possessed by a demon kind of thing but a slasher taps into our primal fears that this could kind of happen at any to anyone this could happen tomorrow to your neighbor to you kind of thing and so I think, yeah, like, I think hopefully this is the beginning of a new era. I completely agree. I don't know if Happy Death Day will be the one, but like uh, Gandalf said about Mary and Pippin encountering the Ents, they could be small pebbles that start an avalanche because I think if any one movie is going to move the needle and bring back the slasher genre, it's going to be the one that kicked it off to begin with, with Halloween. Mark my words. The new Halloween is going to destroy at the box office. It's opening weekend. It's going to have legs, and it's going to start at least somewhat of a mild interest in bringing back the slasher franchise, and I would love to see that very much. To me, slashers as a genre are just like their main antagonist. You can try and keep them down. You can try and kill them off forever, but somehow... Eventually, they always come back for one more go-around that sometimes will end up being just as good, if not better, than the last time that they fought. Well, I think that about wraps it up for another episode of the Uncharted Media Podcast. Well, what do you guys think about some of your favorite slashers or favorite 
uh, stories that you guys have with the slasher subgenre and horror, let us know in the comments below. Also, comment any responses you guys have to any of the movie news that we covered today. I know there's a lot of topics, but if there's anything in particular that you have strong opinions on, let us know. We love hearing from you guys. And as always, if you like what you need and want to see more, subscribe to the channel at um, Untreated Media. No matter what channel you're finding this on, whether that be Google Play Music, iTunes, YouTube, whatever else, or find us on Facebook at Uncharted Media Podcast or Uncharted Media, and stay sharp, movie guys and gals.